Banks start seeing signs of mortgage stress as rates rise. Companies that have scientists, women and people who have worked overseas on their boards perform better. And Commonwealth Bank starts to crack down on crypto trading. It's Friday the 9th of June 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, after the show, you've got an interview coming up with Richard Young, co-founder and CEO of Midkey. Now, this is a, a really a startup, but Richard is a very experienced banker. Yes, he spent a lot of time at Macquarie Bank, and what he's done is taken that knowledge to create an alternate way of financing your home loan. And we're seeing a lot of this in the market at the moment. We all know about the traditional mortgages that you can take out with a big lender or a small lender. Well, we're also getting all sorts of flexible options, and Midkey is providing a fairly unique flexible option whereby they will help finance your home and you don't actually have to pay back until you sell the home. A lot more detail, but it's well worth a listen to Richard for that. Yeah, it's a good chat. It's coming up a little bit later on. Uh, The main story this morning, though, Sean, the big banks are today warning of rising rates of mortgage stress appearing in the economy, particularly if interest rates stay high. Until now, the banks, who are by far the major mortgage lenders, have reported reasonably low default and arrears rates. But cracks are showing. Westpac boss Peter King said the lender is receiving more phone calls to its financial hardship line and 30-day delinquency rates, which basically means people haven't made a mortgage repayment in 30 days, have started to pick up. Ratings agency Fitch yesterday downgraded its view of the Australian and New Zealand banks to deteriorating from neutral, flagging further headwinds against earnings and asset quality. And the Australian Bankers Association boss, Anna Bly, said that if rates stay high or rise, as many economists expect, then more people will enter into hardship arrangements later this year. As Bly put it, people can stretch for another month and they can stretch a bit more, but at some point, for some people, the rubber band will break. She said several banks are getting more calls from people worried about meeting their obligations, Michael. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we've talked about this on How Do They Afford That Out, our sister podcast, and about the importance of just reaching out if you are having having problems that people kind of think of banks as big, impersonal kind of organizations, but really they would be more kind of keen to hear from people before they get into that kind of trouble and try and work out some kind of a solution. Yeah, absolutely. All The banks are always saying, if you're in trouble, give them a call, they can help you. And and. They really can. It's worth giving the call. Absolutely. Now, of course, this all comes after the very weak economic growth rate this week, Sean, and the rise of interest rates as well. Yes. So the standard variable home loan rate is now kind of high sixes or thereabouts. Many mortgage holders are now shifting from much lower fixed rate loans to variable rate loans, the fiscal cliff people have been talking about for quite a while. At the same time, the economy in the 12 months to the end of March grew at a disappointing 2.3% clip. The commentary among economists is that rates may have to go higher. Some are even saying towards 5%. That would be three more 25 basis point rate hikes. That's because inflation is stubbornly high. I don't know whether they'll go that high, but it's certainly very, very worrying that we're starting to see these trends in mortgage arrears when interest rates have still got a way to go. Yeah, pretty alarming trends. Who's feeling it most? 
It's a pretty good question. Probably younger home buyers because they haven't repaid as much of their mortgage and are less likely to have a savings buffer or redraw buffers. Along those lines, there was a really interesting survey out yesterday from property data firm PEXA. More than a quarter of homes were bought without a mortgage last year. So that's about $123 billion worth of homes were cash funded. That was in New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria. PEXA's head of research, Mike Gill, said the data suggests most cash buyers were older homeowners who had already paid off their mortgages and were buying a home to retire in. The bulk of the cash purchases were in regions popular with retirees, the study found, and in postcodes where the median dwelling price was well below state averages. So that very much supports the theory that it's young Australians that are suffering most from what's happening in the mortgage market. All right. How did the local share market perform yesterday, Sean? The S&P ASX 200 closed down 0.3% to 7,100 points. Now, that's three straight sessions where the markets ended lower. Tech stocks got pummeled yesterday following a poor lead-in from Wall Street. The IT index closed down nearly 4%. Zero was off close to 6%. WiseTech Global was down 3%. Real estate stocks also felt it. That's pretty much because of the higher interest rate outlook. The energy companies did best. Beach Energy was up 3.4%. AGL jumped 2.6%. But the real bounce came from the coal miners. They've been sold off big time as coal prices have fallen. Coal prices have turned around a bit, not a lot, just a bit. And suddenly New Hope's up 9%. Whitehaven's up 5.5%. Yen Coal's up 4%. It was almost like investors were just waiting for a turnaround in coal prices to pile back in. Otherwise, the big miners did pretty well. Rio Tinto and Fortescue were both up 2% or thereabouts. BHP was up about 1.5%. Woodside rose 1.3%. The banks were mixed, though Macquarie Group was down more than 1%. So too was Farmers. All right. What about international markets? Well, the main economic news internationally yesterday was out of Japan. The world's third largest economy grew by 0.7% in the first quarter of this year, much better than economists forecast. It just seems that the Japanese economy, after decades of stagnation, seems to be picking up. And that is very, very good for big exporters like Australia. Not a lot of action going on in commodity markets, so the Aussie dollar, Michael, this morning is fetching around 66.6 US cents. Well, that sounds a little ominous, doesn't it? 66.6 US cents, do you reckon? Yeah, triple six. Isn't that that Satan's number? (laughs) Is it? I have no idea. Oh, well... I mean, I don't want to read too much into um, into kind of satanic influences on currency markets, so let's just move on, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Triple six, you are right. I've Googled it while you've been doing it. In modern popular culture, triple six has become the most widely recognised symbol for the Antichrist or alternatively the devil. Yeah. I, sometimes, Sean, you really leave me hanging there. and mm. I was, You made me really question myself and my knowledge of of Satan. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. You were right. Yeah. Time. Anyway. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese was joined by Qantas boss Alan Joyce yesterday at Western Sydney Airport to announce that Qantas and Jetstar will be the first airlines to fly out of the airport in 2026. Yes, Joyce said Western Sydney will one day become the biggest airport on the carrier's network. He said it will boast great efficiency with shorter block times and shorter taxi times, allowing for 
Lower airfares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to wait till 2026 for that, do we? Yeah, it sounds like it. He added that within a year of operation, Qantas and Jetstar will have at least 15 aircraft based at the new airport. Joyce said there's already 2 million trips taken each year from Sydney from residents of that area, and that can grow. The number of trips can grow as a result of the new facilities. There'll be about 700 extra jobs out at the airport, so very good for that part of the world. Yeah, certainly is. Now, I mentioned this new research, Sean, at the top of the show, companies that have women, scientists, and people who have worked overseas on their boards perform markedly better than those without. More than 80% of companies assessed as top performing had at least one female director, one director who had science and technology expertise, and at least one with international experience. That's according to a Committee for Economic Development of Australia, CEDA, and the University of Technology Sydney report. That compares to just 26% of the weakest firms. CEDA Chief Executive Melinda Salento said greater diversity is a shortcut to lifting capabilities. Roughly 40% of board directors in Australia have financial or legal expertise, but only 7% have science or technology expertise, according to the report. On average, the most dynamic companies have 1.6 more directors who are female, 1.8 more directors with science, technology, engineering and mathematics expertise, and 3.1 more directors with international experience compared to bottom performers. All right. Now, Sean, the Commonwealth Bank has limited transfers to high-risk crypto exchanges as digital currencies face growing challenges. The fraud protection measure was announced yesterday following Westpac's decision to restrict customers converting Aussie dollars to crypto assets. General Manager of Group Fraud Management Services at Commonwealth Bank, James Roberts, said it's very difficult to recover money from crypto exchanges when it goes missing. While Commonwealth Bank didn't announce which exchanges are affected, it is likely to include Binance, the one-time world's largest crypto exchange, which this week faces legal action by US regulators. In addition to some outright bans, Commonwealth Bank will also impose a 24-hour transaction hold for customers wanting to transfer money to any crypto exchange, as well as a $10,000 monthly limit. Uh, Sean, as the PwC scandal continues, we now see more and more clients pulling their business from the financial services firm. Government departments, including Finance and the Reserve Bank, have either said they don't want to work with PwC or will enforce very rigorous standards. Now it's the private sector. Some of the country's biggest super funds, including Australian Super, Australian Retirement Trust and HESTA, have frozen work with PwC in recent weeks, according to media reports. Clearly, it's bad news for PwC, but Michael, it's actually isn't that great news for the economy. There are only four major audit and accounting firms out there. There are thousands of large businesses. Taking one of the big firms out, so kind of 25% of the capability, that just isn't good for diversity of providers. So PwC have done the wrong thing, clearly, but it's actually not good for the system as a whole. California's Flynn Restaurant Group has acquired the operations of Pizza Hut in Australia, picking up the brand's local master license from Sydney-headquartered private equity firm Allegro Funds. The deal adds 260 Pizza Hut stores to the Finn portfolio. It's actually the first time that that group has pushed overseas, according to a report in the Financial Review. Now, I was looking at the, the different outlets it operates. So this is Flynn's restaurant group. So it's got about 2,350 outlets, including more than 900 Pizza Hut branded shops, along with Applebee's, Arby's, Taco Bell's, Wendy's, 
and Panera Bakery cafes. Now that is a lot of calories. <laughs> yeah, yes, I've never considered it like that. Oh. It absolutely is. Sean, are there any um, are there any all you can eat Pizza Huts left anymore? I wonder. So when I was growing up in Orange. Mm. Pizza Hut opened at some point when I was at school. Mm. And I remember going kind of with friends to Pizza Hut. And the first time, it was very exciting for us in Orange. And it maybe wasn't the first time, but very early on, they had the all-you-can-eat pizzas. Yeah. Oh, it was just glorious. I don't think there's many left, many all-you-can-eat ones left. But I think the one in Orange was actually one of the last still standing, like up until probably maybe two years couple of years ago, even. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Anyway, on to building materials, Sean. Yes. Good segue, isn't it? (laughs) Boral's chief executive, Vic Bansell, says high inflation is likely to persist for at least a year, with more price rises coming for its cement, gravel and asphalt as it tries to offset rising transport, wages and energy costs. So Boral's feeling the pressure from a slowdown in the Australian residential construction sector, with building approvals at their lowest level in a decade. Bansell said the slowdown in residential is particularly noticeable just in the past few weeks, in fact. He added that Boral will pass through higher costs to customers to keep profit margins, and those customers are willing to pay the higher prices. Bansell said the industry needs to shift away from fixed price contracting. I think that is pretty clear. I mean, plenty of deals out there have recently led to many builders struggling to survive. Borrell is 73% owned by media billionaire Kerry Stokes. Its share price finished down 5.5% yesterday. And just before we leave the local news, Western Australia has a new Premier with Roger Cook being sworn in as the state's 31st leader yesterday. All right. Good luck to him. International news now, Sean. Tesla's share price has hit a seven-month high following a run of recent positive news. Yes. So the electric vehicle maker's stock has closed higher nine days in a row. That's its longest winning streak since January 2021. Its shares are up 82% this year. Now, it's come off a little bit, but it's certainly uh, a great rebound from the 65% loss last year. The jump reflects the rush for technology and growth stocks more generally. Also on Tuesday, all of Tesla's Model 3 sedans became eligible for the full US tax credit under a new criteria set out by the US Treasury Department. Nothing like a little bit of government help to get vehicles sold. Sean, smoke from Canadian bushfires continues to pour into the US East Coast and Midwest, covering major cities in an unhealthy haze. Yes, the smoke has held up flights at major airports and prompted people to bring out pandemic-era face masks. Canadian officials have asked other countries for additional help fighting more than 400 blazes nationwide. Air quality is considered in the unhealthy range for large parts of North America. Now, New York was the most polluted major city in the world on Tuesday night. That was New York time, so Wednesday Australian time, according to the IQ Air website. Pollution levels in that city were deemed in the unhealthy range and the benchmark seems to be that the air was more unhealthy than the Indian capital, Delhi, and Iraq's Baghdad. There you go. Canadian officials says that this is shaping up to be the nation's worst bushfire season ever. All right, finally, Sean, yesterday we spoke about the surprise merger of the Saudi-backed Live Golf and the USA and European PGA Tours today. It's about football, the round ball variety of football, and the money is, I thought yesterday's story was big, the money in this one is much bigger. Much bigger. There are reports that Lionel Messi, arguably, very arguably, 
the greatest footballer of his generation, has turned down 600 million Aussie dollars, 400 million US, 600 million Aussie dollars a year from Saudi Arabia to move to the US and play for Inter Miami. Now, the US club has influential partners, namely David Beckham, the former UK footballer, and plenty of rich corporate backers, namely Adidas and Apple. But the Saudis have been throwing money at football, trying to attract the very best players. Messi was supposed to be the absolute pinnacle, but it looks like he's turned them down. The Saudis already own Newcastle Football Club. They play in the English Premier League. They've got Cristiano Ronaldo, the other greatest footballer of his generation. He's playing for about 300 million Aussie a year. And if I suppose if you want to throw a third name for the best player of his generation around, then it's probably Ballon d'Or winner Karim Benzema. Guess where he's playing? Saudi League. So basically, they've got two of the three greats of the current era, and they've thrown 600 million at the third. All right. Okay, Sean. Did you know that um, that uh, Messi is thirty five, mm-hmm. Benzema's thirty five as well, mm-hmm. Ronaldo's thirty eight. Mm-hmm. I'm thirty seven. I, yeah. I reckon I'm still in with a shot. <laughs> the stories you've been telling us about coaching Henry's soccer team in recent weeks have been very, very funny, and I don't think you got any chance whatsoever. Oh, thank you. It's good to have your support. Up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview with Richard Young, co-founder and co-CEO of Midkey. That's right. It's all about an alternate way to get funding for home loans. Plenty of that going on at the moment in terms of plenty of options available. This is another one and well worth a listen pretty much for all our listeners, Michael. Absolutely. And Richard told us as well that his 21-year-old daughter is a Fear and Greed listener. Yes, a shout out to her. Indeed. Thank you for listening. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Friday, the 9th of June, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.